This talk is offered by Ordinary Mind Zendo. Ordinary Mind was founded by Barry Majid, Dharma heir of Charlotte Joko Beck, and is dedicated to her vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of American students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. One way or another, I seem to find myself in uh, discussion groups uh, in a variety of contexts that keep circling back to the question, does the self exist? Seems like you can't have a discussion group about Buddhism without somebody insisting on raising that question. And uh, almost inevitably, the responses fall into two camps. Uh, One is the kind of wisecracking answer of who wants to know. The the other uh, sort of launches into a lot of metaphysical esoterica. It's supposed to sound spiritual, but it's completely disconnected from Anything you know that the person talking, you know, is engaging with in their real life. Very often you get a sense that uh, by a lot of esoteric talk about. Uh, being nobody, someone is trying to prove what a somebody they are. But the question keeps recurring, and you sort of wonder what it is that keeps drawing people back to it. In a certain sense, the idea of no self is meant to be a kind of relief from the tyranny of self. But when you talk to people about what that would mean to them, almost inevitably it's a, some version of wanting one part of the self to be free of another. I have a lot of disturbing thoughts I want to get rid of. I have anxiety or sadness I want to get rid of. Uh, There's always a remainder of an I that's going to be left over to enjoy once and for all the, the peace and quiet that's going to be achieved when that unpleasant version of self is finally uh, evicted and we don't really have any idea of what it would mean to be free of the tyranny of the observer or the tyranny of the self that is seeking freedom from its suffering I think another aspect of what is so 
telling about talk of no self is that it tends to push a button in most of us that connects to our deepest fears. And that has to do with a sense of feeling like nobody in the worst sense, a fear of being completely non-recognized, of being a kind of ghost in the world where life is going on around you but nobody's paying you any attention at all. And there we have this sense of being no one in the most oppressive way imaginable. Uh, The world is populated by somebodies who are only paying attention to each other and we're fundamentally left out. (coughs) And I think that all this no self-talk in a way draws people because it inadvertently plugs into that sense of facing a deep fear of uh, non-recognition. But when we look at the root texts like the Heart Sutra that talk about the emptiness of the self, it's important first of all to, to realize that the self is not being singled out in any way in terms of its emptiness. Uh, It's not as if uh, this whole world of real things exists and only the self doesn't as a kind of false imaginary entity uh, in a world of real things. Uh, The Heart Sutra insists that if the self doesn't exist, neither does uh, the floor you're sitting on or the air you're breathing or the sun that's shining. The self doesn't exist in the same way you can say the world doesn't exist. Uh, But we rarely hear it uh, formulated that way. Uh, And I think that it would, people would have a whole different reaction to it if uh, it was put in that kind of framework of um, nothing has any kind of permanent or or substantial reality. When we say the self doesn't exist and single that out, uh, it strikes at sort of the inner Descartes in all of us that wants to assume or assert the thing that we know best and with most certainty is our own private inner experience. That we can doubt everything about the world, that we can imagine everything out there is an insubstantial dream, but the thing I know is my own knowing, my own experience. 
the idea of emptiness in a sense levels the playing field and says that we can't know or control anything more than anything else including anything inner we are not known to ourselves any more certainly than we know the world we cannot control the content or experience of our mind with any more certainty than we can know or control so-called outer things of the world. And there are many ways in which we bump up against this. Uh, Certainly in non-Buddhist psychology we confront the notion of the unconscious which by definition says that there are aspects of who we are that we don't know (coughs) and that we are constantly being shaped or defined by things out of our awareness that in a sense what could be most essential in determining about our inner experience are things that we have no access to. See, when we talk about what it is that's actually at stake in this talk of uh, no self, we're talking about issues of knowing and controlling our experience. That's how we bring it back down to something that's real to ourselves. How much of what's happening to us, by us, do we really understand? How much of it is caused by conditioning karma, cause and effect conditions outside of our awareness and outside of our control. How much of who we are doesn't begin inside and emanate outward, but comes in from the outside in ways that we can't really know about, can't really control. non-existence of self is uh, simply an assertion of its impermanence and its interdependency not its uh, kind of uh, phantom-like nature as if we could just uh, blow on it and blow away and that be it once and for all Uh, again we have a certain kind of fantasy of release but invariably it's a release uh, one part wishes from part of another 
we have to face actually is this sense of interdependency which means a vulnerability to the world and to other non-existent selves which we somehow remain very vulnerable to for their love, attention, you know, recognition. And the fact of change and impermanence, which we tend to get slightly more aware of as time goes on. And in many significant ways, it all comes down to our desire to control the uncontrollable. And that our practice, uh, which Uchiyama is called opening the hand of thought, means sort of also letting go of that attempt to get a tight grip on our life, to, to loosen up the hand that's trying to grasp the steering wheel of our mind and our life, make it go the way we want it to go. need to open that hand of control as well as that hand of, of thought to have a lighter touch and then maybe we can be more as Chesterton uh, described like angels who can fly because they take themselves lightly. <laughs>